0: This episode of the Good Ship Brothership is brought to you by hanging paintings and other framed objects on your wall. Go to www.haveyouevenseenahammerbefore.com today to get $10 off of that nail and that thing up there. Well, Jason, hello. I'm honestly Uh, so glad (laughs) that we're just doing this. I'm so glad that I was able to run out today after work to Longwick. Shout out to Mr. Steckley for letting me leave work early to go shopping for equipment and such like things. Uh, yesterday, for those of you who didn't see uh, our little Facebook, if you don't follow us on Facebook, please go please go find us on Facebook uh, <sighs> at, under the Good Ship Brothership uh, brand name because uh, we post all our updates and stuff there.
1: The mic is much closer to you than it is to me. That's not even close to centered.
0: This is important. Um, so please do go follow us on Facebook if you don't because y- you get... Useful updates, such as yesterday, us posting a video very late in the evening saying, sorry, the podcast isn't going to be up for tomorrow because we're having huge technical difficulties. There was blue screens of death flying, you know, every which way. It was infuriating. It was really bad, we
1: we Basically, we just sat here for an hour and a half and watched Grant's computer crash again and again. That's true. Uh, And we still don't really know why, but... You went out and bought a uh, new piece of equipment, and now it's not doing it anymore.
0: Yeah, four hundred dollars later, and now the solution is is right here in front of us, and we're, you know, in your ear holes once again.
1: So go visit Patreon.com. No, it kind of it, that would be great. There if, are so many. If you want to give us a dollar, I won't fight you. Here's the thing, though, and if we ever have an off-topic set. Section this, this whole show is an off topic. If we topic were having an, off, to, an off, to, off topic session, jeez, <laughs> an okay. off topic section, you know what? Just forget it. <laughs> it wasn't that important, anyways.
0: Well, this is a great start to the new year, everybody. Uh, this is our first <laughs> like episode of the new year, and Jason no. hasn't made it three minutes yeah. in. Yes, the it other is.
1: What was this year?
0: It was a review of last year. It's not like this I is guess. the first. Okay. This is the first episode of the new season okay. of year two of the Good Ship Brothership, mm-hmm. as we discussed. We discussed it together. And if you listen to me, you would understand what what is actually happening in your life at any given moment. <laughs> um,
1: uh, Jason, what have you been? What have you been listening to? What have you been watching? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've been listening to. So it's it's really interesting. After we do our album of the year discussion, yeah. Um... Like, w- suddenly, so for a couple of weeks beforehand, I'm very busy listening to the music, and you kind of have, like, sort of a responsibility or obligation to listen to, like, XYZ. And then all of a sudden, as soon as we're done that, and you can listen to whatever you want, it's really interesting to see what sticks around and what doesn't. And I'm actually really surprised. Um, I've been listening to a ton of Gang of Youths, so no surprise there. Go Farther in Lightness. I've been listening to. The
0: album is called Go Farther in Lightness.
1: Um, I've been listening to a lot of St. Vincent. That album's still growing on me. Huh. Still a really good album. Interesting. Um, I mean, like, The National, I've been listening to a ton of. I was listening to Leonard Cohen today. Today was a really good music day. I listened to Leonard Cohen. I found this random obscure playlist on Spotify. Normally not a big playlist guy, but it was, uh, like, Don't Stop Believin' and the Ghostbusters theme. And, uh, wow. what was the other Journey song I sent you? You didn't, you, all you sent me
0: was the oh. Ghostbusters theme.
1: But it was just this, like, that sort of thing. And I listened to that for a while. I did schoolwork. It was good. Um, that was only music. I really need to get back
0: to John Mark McMillan's album. Oh, I've been listening to a lot of that, too. Yeah. I've listened to that a well, few it's times. It's just, it is yeah. just gorgeous. I was listening
1: to that today as well. It's so good. I listened to like, probably um, five or six hours
0: of music today. I've been, uh, listening to a lot of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, as per usual, just while I drive and that sort of thing. It's such good driving music, mm-hmm. especially driving through the country to your blue-collar job, as I do every day. Blasting Tom Petty. Something about it yeah, well, just hard. fits so well. And I would say American Girl is one of the great American songs ever written. I, I mean, like... I
1: think, I would say the Heartbreakers have more than one uh, of the best american songs I've ever yeah. written. Uh, like also, it's just
0: the more you listen to their stuff the more you you when you buy a tom petty and the heartbreakers album and you look at the track listing you're like what not only did i forget that you know all these classic songs exist and that everybody knows all the
1: lyrics to all these songs
0: they're on the same album yeah.
1: you know i was listening to and i didn't tell you this the other day I was actually listening to Mud Crutch, um, oh my. which is not as old, like they're active up to 2017 off and on. Really? It's basically, Mud Crutch if you guys don't know, is basically just like a rearrangement of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. One or two guys are swapped out, but it's still like uh, Tom Petty and Benmont Tench. and uh, What was their guitarist? Dreadlocks guy. That is Benmont Tench. No, Benmont Tench is a keyboard guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, whatever their guitarist name is. And it's like a little bit more swampy or a little bit more like Muscle shoals <laughs> It's um, called Mud Crutch. Yeah, But it was it was worth listening to. It was pretty cool.
0: But we're um, not talking about Mud Crutch. Today. And I've been... Uh, oh, you didn't kind of let me finish Sorry. my... Okay. I, uh, but today and yesterday I was listening to Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd and giving it like the first real listen of my life. And like what a what a absolutely perfectly cut jewel that album is. And I really want you to listen to it um, a couple times and tell me what you think, because I'd be really curious. Because I was kind of just taken aback by the brevity of it, and the... um... Jason's going to adjust the microphone. Perfect. It's been kind of like drooping slowly
1: as we... Recorded. The problem is when I have my laptop open, the microphone is obscured by the laptop and I'm worried that's gonna impact the clarity of my voice. Well you should use a notepad like me. Um Notebooks brought to you by 2008. Now
0: so yeah, anyway, great a great album. I also watched a very weird movie called That was Super Weird Adaption the the other night adaption i think huh. starring nicholas cage and uh that lady who looks a bit like a pigeon but is still curiously attractive what's her
1: name uh here it comes. i don't know there's no i didn't need to it was one of those movies where i only saw like a tenth of it i was like doing something else when you we were watching it um oh it is called uh, adaptation adaption no Adaptation. adaptation? No, adap- adapt. Adapt. Adaptation? adaptation. No, adaptation. it's, it's adaptation. It's not adaptation. I don't. Know, I don't why, know what I'm looking at. I don't know why you would think it's called adaptation. Wait, adaptation? No, it's, it is adaptation. <laughs> no, it not. Yeah, it is adaptation. adaptation. Is right?
0: It? Adaptation. <laughs>
1: okay, Google. Uh, <laughs> Help. Spell adaptation. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's adaptation. <laughs> yeah, sorry everybody. This is Man. the most off-the-rails episode we've had in a long time. I'm so sorry. So, but yeah, adaptation. Okay, who else does it? Adam, or not Adam, you you know, know, Nicholas N- Cage. Nicholas
0: Cage, Meryl Streep is who I was thinking of. Chris Cooper, Tilda Swinton, Susan Orlean. Oh wow, she's a woman in supermarket. But it's a really strange movie. That is, you know, it's kind of Inception before Inception. If pe- people are like, oh, you know, movie and all that sort of thing, which I find, you know, quite irritating because Inception is not really that deep of a movie. From a, you know... It's s- classic story. meta. It's, but it's cheap meta, isn't it? Mm. Um, but adaptation, if you want real meta, is about... Uh, the story of charlie kaufman who is a real screenwriter writing an adaptation of the book the orchid thief and during the course of the movie which is about him writing the adaptation we catch up to him writing the adaptation of the actual movie that he's in it's pretty weird it's like ouroboros the serpent with a its tail in its mouth or whatever very strange movie. I liked it very flawed, though. Kind of irritated me in a couple different ways. Not like and a didn't.
1: legendary movie by any stretch. But No, but it's
0: a very, very clever movie in terms of the writing. Extremely clever. Um, would I watch it again? Probably. Later. Much later. Uh, would
1: I recommend everybody to go see it? No. It does go to show, though, that there are... I feel like there are a lot... Far fewer Like actually bad actors Than people Like to think there are Like you look at Nicolas Cage He's good in that He's good in raising Arizona He, he was fine in that He was um, much better In raising Arizona Adam oh Sandler God. Was good In Punch Drunk Love You said Which I still haven't seen I need to see Um, But it got taken off Netflix So But Yeah I don't know Okay let's get on With the show We're stalling up yes, pass, Cle- pass me a Kleenex And tell the listeners What our topics are Please
0: No, it's not time for that
1: But I need to blow my nose Quick, saxophone solo
0: That's disgusting This is a bad podcast (laughs) Should we cut it? Take take five You ever just think that like (laughs) Every two weeks (laughs) This is a bad podcast no, you don't think that every two weeks, because an episode doesn't go every, up every two weeks, which is right. one of the things that makes right. us a bad podcast. do a shout out to friends? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I'll we will. That. Yeah, yeah. Correct.
1: After, after the theme.
0: After this atrocious theme music finishes, I'm going to eat some of these chips just to cement right. the fact that this is a bad podcast. So, when I was re-uploading some of those
1: old podcasts, I still got to do more of those. I heard that one where we did eating noises. <laughs> I brought back banana chips. That was chips. so <laughs> bad. It was like this brought you by eating noises.
0: <sighs> that was very gross. <laughs> it was, it wasn't I've good. heard that a couple times since. Right. You're listening to the Good Ship Brothership, the only arts podcast to cover film, music, gaming, literature, and speaker cone dust caps. I'm Grant, and this is my brother Jason. I'm his brother Jason, and this episode is dedicated to the country of France.
1: We we're recently looking at our metrics. On mean, on uh, Podiant specifically, which is like the service we use to get our podcasts on iTunes and Do you have Stitcher those and numbers? wherever it is. Because we were going to um, read them out. I, I'll look them up if you <laughs> fill time a little bit. The country of France, though, is our third most listened to country, not far behind Canada, which is second. And America um, comes first. By, like by a significant, like a 15 uh point lead over Canada
0: which is kind of surprising to me cuz i don't know
1: uh a lo- loads of people in the states i don't know anyone who i think would listen who lives in the states if you if you if you are in the states and you listen to us go to facebook and and message and us or something message us we want
0: to know who's listening to this show we like seriously if you are actually listening to this and you're in any kind of country I don't think. care if you accidentally stumbled upon this, and you, you know, don't feel like going through the we work have, messaging the us. fact,
1: the, the fact of the matter yeah. is, there's somebody out there who accidentally stumbled upon us. But seriously, because nobody really listens to the show, and we are just, we are truly no, two guys.
0: No, people listen to the like... Okay, can you let me finish okay, a sentence, okay. Jason, i also slap the living don't, daylights don't. out of you. We are literally just two guys in our parents' basement, and, uh... And if you're actually listening to this, and
1: listenership plummets,
0: and you don't li- and you don't know us outside of the podcast, send us a message. We would like to get to know you, unironically and in a not creepy way. Just because I'm curious as to who 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 this this kind of train wreck might attract. Hmm. Are you a sociopath? Are you like uh, somebody who paints portraits of animals, but only once they've been killed?
1: I'm super confused. Are you getting like no numbers? Like oops, no, you're actually—it's telling for... me to, that I may be eligible for free community hosting, but we were just approved for that. Like, well, that I might, might
0: still... be uh, a huge wrinkle and everything.
1: Oh wait, uh, you signed uh, in? Yeah. Hang on. Well, I don't know. I I, uh, I think it just gave me that as like a pop-up. Um, Party in i have i have a really love hate relationship with podient which is our uh hosting service they try to make you pay but then they let us keep going for free because we're a good influence on the community apparently us and our nine subscribers <laughs> literally we have nine subscribers <laughs> um but i mean hey okay let's uh see so you why don't you tell them what we're listening to and we can get it we're 15 minutes oh, in so- yeah well whatever jason
0: Okay, so this week we'll be reviewing two very eclectic uh, items, uh, film and a film and an album. And the film is A Field in England by Ben Wheatley. You may have uh, heard of this guy uh, as the director of Free Fire, which was a movie that came out last year. And it's safe to say I think that was his you know, most groundswell kind of uh, film yet. And we will be reviewing Sylvan Esso's album... What's it called? Uh l- I have it right here. We'll come what now? We'll come to that. Sylvan Esso's album What Now, which was released last year and was one of the albums that I kind of wish that uh that I have been able to review on my on our 2017 uh uh show. So, without further ado, we'll Oh, I keep burping. I'm so sorry. That's so That's disgusting good. to listen to. Um
1: we will flip the puppet as I get the... Okay, we're way too distracted today. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm just
0: trying to get the... No, i, I know. Is I'm, I'm not going fine. this just on you. This, this
1: is okay. I'm,
0: like, on potty and it's trying happening. to... It's happening. We're get happy. Finished. We're loose. It's a Friday night. I'm overjoyed that I don't have to get up for work in the morning. Uh,
1: like, where do I even find... I have, like, listens, but not, like, minutes. It's more fun when you break it down in minutes. Someone listened to us in Spain. So, what I was going to say was
0: that Jason and I decided that at the end of this year on our year-end podcast, our um, album roundup, whatever you want to call it, best albums of 2018, we will go through our listenership for those years and go, oh, wow, two people listen to us in Guatemala in the world. Yeah. So, what we're going to attempt to do here now, I thought that you had written down a bunch of these
1: notes. Or uh, I think I might have on them my desktop, and then I got rid of them or something. You know. are stinky. I still don't even really know what I'm doing on and to be honest. It seems like you still
0: don't just really know what you're doing.
1: Yeah, well, that's true, too.
0: Okay, so we'll flip the puppet. Obviously, I think face down should be a field in England. Face up should be Sylvanesso for, you know, just thematic yeah, reasons. That's true. For reasons that you and I only understand. It's face up. Sylvan Esso first. That's completely perfect. Okay. okay. What now is the second studio album by American indie pop duo Sylvan Esso, made up of singer Amelia Meath and hurt. producer Nick Sanborn? He's a <sighs> reduced on... Uh, reduced? Why not? Released on April... You know what? Let's just record this some other time. <laughs> <laughs> Released on April 28th, 2017 by Loma Vista Recordings. The album spawned three singles, Radio, released on August 31st, 2016. Wow, that's unusual. That's a huge lead time. Kick, Jump, Twist, released on November 18th, 2016, and Die Young, released on February February 27th, 2017. Speaking on the album, singer Amelia Meath said in an interview that following their debut The duo felt they needed to step it up as much as possible to prove that they belonged where they are. I don't know where that is, but... Sanborn added that the record felt, quote-unquote, much more lived-in and alive than their previous album due to the fact that they were more assured with what they wanted, whereas their first album came right after their formation as a band. Meath explained that the album's title came from a deep band existential crisis and that during the first part of recording the album they often ask themselves can we still do this or did we lose it and can they or can't they that is what we will decide right now uh do you want to go first or should i
1: do you want me to go first do you want to go, go first i don't care i'll go first i feel like i always go first but why break tradition if that's the case oh, i don't know and if i don't always go first then like give let me okay, go first just already. go into it okay I thought this was a very refreshing album. We brought it up. We brought it up really in passing on our uh, album of the year discussion. I especially hadn't listened to really any Sylvanesso until like the day of. I listened to, like two songs. <sighs> Excuse me. And you had only listened to them in a really cursory fashion, so it was fun to to dig into it and just have one album that I could listen to uh, just like in my spare time whenever I wanted to. It Didn't feel like a chore do um, you have something you wanna add? I
0: just wanna say that I discovered them as a result of um, Tiny Desk Concerts I love which those. is an absolutely phenomenal channel on YouTube. It's and from they, NPR, right? Yeah. And they have musicians and bands in and they perform like mostly stripped down performances in a very crunched crunched in yeah. space. And it's they're just fifteen sec fifteen second, fifteen minute videos of an extremely eclectic mix of bands. Big from Thief was on. Big Thief to Peter Frampton to... I think maybe Thundercat, Bilal. Like, everybody's been Yeah, Yeah, they're so cool. Really fantastic. Great way to introduce yourself what to are they some call new you again? Tiny Desk Concerts. Cannot highly recommend it enough.
1: Cannot recommend it highly enough. Something <laughs> like that. I don't know. Please continue. <laughs> this episode features special guest Yoda. Um, but I found Sick this album... Self- really refreshing. It reminds me a lot of everything now by Arcade Fire which is an album released uh in 2017, not in terms of sound or style, but in terms of like the place it holds in my heart. I don't think this is a phenomenal album. I don't think it's in I don't think it was in contention at all for the best album of last year, but I think it was entirely fun and I think I'll keep coming back to it and it's it's nice to hear an album that sounds happy the majority of the time. Not all the time. But there's a certain zeal for life that's kind of uh, that you kind of pick up on when you listen to it. Which is kind of nice because, you know, I like the National hugely, but I can't cry all the time. <laughs> I, don't I, know know so I, know I only mean. have so many tears to give. I know what you mean. Um, another strength of this album is it makes electropop feel... Like, very real and honest in a way that I don't often hear. I think a lot of times it's like you want to do soulful music, you use an acoustic guitar, not a synth. Um, But I really don't think that that was the case for this album. There's a little bit of like uh, acoustic guitar work in a couple of the tracks, but it's almost always synth, and I think that works super well. Amelia Meath has this beautiful voice that's like just different enough to really catch your attention, but. Sounds like traditional enough to be very pleasing to the ear and I think it pairs super well with the instrumentation. Her voice oftentimes comes across I think um, as like another instrument like it just pairs super well and adds a lot to the mix without sounding um, jarring or anything like that. Uh, let me look at my notes here. Um, I think the album is Barred from being what I would consider a great album because it sort of lacks ambition in my eyes. Like it's not um, a grand concept, as we just read. I mean, it had a theme of them uh, wondering if they've kind of lost their edge, but I don't. It doesn't come across like I don't know the wall or to pimp a butterfly or anything like that. But what's fantastic about it is it really just doesn't need to. Um, I think like there's nothing worse than. An album that's so scattered There's no consistent tone You know I think with Sylvan Esso If I had to Rival If I had to level uh, Complaints against them It would probably be that There's not enough track diversity And that the lyrics Most of the time Aren't great There are a few songs where I'm like Oh that's pretty good Um, That wasn't an iDubbbz reference But You also get the impression That they just didn't Set out to 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 be this like great meaningful band. They just wanted to make this cool like stripped down electro pop and I think they've done a fantastic job with that. Yeah. It's no album of the decade or album of the year and maybe not album of the month, but for what it was, I had a lot of fun. I think I like everything now more though.
0: Really? Yeah. Um I think this has dollops heaps more humanity and relatability and it's got you know something that you can look at and kind of love everything now is kind of a big monologue. are you referring to
1: amelia meath by that? yes
0: yeah <laughs> something that you could look at and love i do love amelia meath so much <laughs> amelia if you're listening to this We love you. We're so sorry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But you're really great. I love your voice. And And your album was like a 7 out of 10. Congrats. (laughs) You're
0: very pretty and you're just.
1: Anyway. um,
0: So, uh, what now? Let's start with the title. That's a terrible title. I'm so sorry. That's a terrible title. What now? We couldn't remember it a second ago when I tried to say it. That's true. And I tried to remember it. I think it's a good album. I'll be upfront about that. You know, I'd, I'd probably put it in the same camp as you if I had to. About a 7 out of 10. It's good. Will Will I, you know, in a couple months from now go, Oh, remember that one track from... And then I'll crank it up super loud. Yeah,
1: remember that one track from... What was that album called? Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> from um uh... And then I'll dance around in my studio by myself because I'm sad and lonely. Now, uh, 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 the album kind of kicks off with this not-at-all-representative kind of faux bony ver thing that I really didn't understand. It seemed like they were setting the whole album up for this grandiose kind of cohesive statement with this very... um, low key intro with Amelia Meath's voice starting off, I think maybe looped and very distorted and uh, and messed up and and slowly slowly disintegrating into a human voice again, yeah, if that makes sense, and I just found I found that kind of strange, especially for a band whose greatest strength I think is crafting. An extremely catchy, feel-good, dancey pop song.
1: Like kick, jump, twist.
0: Exactly. I didn't do standout tracks. I don't even have them written down. Well, I'll think of them and we can do them together at the end of my review. Okay. So I thought that that was a strange uh, choice, but probably probably not... Uh, I don't know. Not It's not unforgivable. Uh, the sound on the rest of the album is, is pretty fantastic across the board in terms of production and everything uh nick uh is his name nick even i don't know nick sanborn yeah Mm. nick sanborn nick sanborn is an absolute beauty he's a national treasure and the guy is so good with his beats he really is so good with his synths holy moly like this this album is a an absolute treat if you like the kind of indie pop thing in any way, shape, or form, if you like Lord, if you like people who sound
1: like Lord Khaled.
0: <laughs> Khaled, yeah, anything like that, you will definitely like this. And I think in a lot of ways, Nick Sanborn's production on this album is... Well, Nick thing San- I would say the production of this album crushes Khaled's album, in my opinion. And the production on this album... Rivals, almost rivals. Uh, Pure heroin.
1: By the way, I think Khaled's album is superior, and I think Lord's album is like in another league altogether. But in terms of production, you're probably right. In terms of the, in terms of the textures he's using, yeah. the colors, the fantastically
0: cool beats, and the kind of grainy quality that he imparts to them in some sections, and just yeah, overall production. Uh, this album's really, really stand out, and Nick Sanborn deserves at least as much credit as Amelia Meath for making this band something something really cool. Uh, I think I think there are a couple tracks on this album that are like exceptionally catchy and exceptionally solidly crafted and nicely written. Uh, I think that uh, Kick Jump Twist is just one of those you know dance around your bedroom tracks that doesn't mean anything at all yeah (laughs) it's like uh it's literally just do the kick jump twist like i don't don't even know how you can possibly
1: string those three actions together to make something kind of dance like this is i guess the best way i can describe this album is that it'll never make you cry but it'll probably make you smile
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It's a feel-good and that's album. Not, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a feel-good that. album, but you won't feel guilty about feeling good, yeah. right? Um, you chew so very loudly. I'm sorry. Uh, I, now, so Kick Jump Twist is a good song. Nick Sanborn is a beat god on this mm-hmm. song, if you listen to it. it's The beat on Kick Jump Twist is, is fantastic. The, all the production and the synths and... Everything you'll be very satisfied listening to that, but Die Young is the song, is a song on on the album, their third single, I think. If I can remember, um, is a really fantastic song, I think, and it's worth, as I would say, the price of a mission. Much like, uh, was it Angela off of that Lumineers record that I really didn't like off Cleopatra? Angela's a tearjerker of a song absolutely phenomenal and a beautiful folk song well Die Young nails that like millennial bored passion vibe you know indie Mm -hmm. pop kind of thing I was gonna die young now I gotta wait for you Uh, that's kind of the refrain Mm -hmm. and like it's so catchy and it's been stuck in my head for probably a week and like at work, it pops into my head, and then I'm like, "I was gonna die young," and I'm singing that, like, exactly. And the synth, and that's the thing—you get her fantastic vocals, and then the synth comes in, and the synth is just as catchy as her vocals. Uh-huh. Amelia Meath has this really weird, but she pulls it off really well. This way of singing her words, and she enunciates so poorly that you almost can't even understand. A single word that she's saying, especially like in the in the verses of like "Die Young" or something. Yeah, um, that's what I mean. Her voice is an instrument. It's very interesting how she does it—the mushy, kind of uh, live-sounding, really relaxed Whoa. vibe that she's got going on. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's really fantastic. She makes it work very well. And there are not a whole lot of singers, I don't think, who could pull that kind of thing off without sounding forced. Uh, There's a song on the album, literally, that's called Song. And ironically enough, I found it slightly paint-by-numbers and kind of boring and uh, kind of irritating. The, The album in general, I felt lost the plot of it when it came to the slower songs. They don't have that kind of like texture or the magnetism of the upbeat material. I actually liked song on this, really. Yeah, I just found it kind of like everything about it was kind
1: of cliche. I guess I really like his synth work. How he's doing these intricate little like pitch shifts while she's singing really softly and smoothly. It was just a kind of cool contrast, and I guess that's what caught my attention about it. But I hear you. I, I just, yeah, I, I just felt that the the slow songs didn't have
0: that, the staying power of something like kick, jump, twist, which is a fantastic, like, uh, like I said, it's, it's not, it's not even a party song. It is just a dance around your bedroom song. It would not be a good party a, song. Which is a completely beautiful thing. And, and something it's I like think lonely the, town. the world needs, oh, don't get me started. Yeah. I watched that music good. video the other day and I was <laughs> annihilated again. Um... So overall, very fun album. I would completely recommend, if anything I've said uh, sounds interesting to you, please do go check it out, because they are a small band, I think. Uh, and uh, give them some love, because I think that they're two very talented individuals, and, uh, and I completely liked this album. <laughs>
1: As a brief interstitial, should we do a couple statistics? Yeah, you can do some st- statistics. Um, so we we're actually, I mean, like comparatively, growing at a fairly rapid rate. Um, it's, what day is today? January 20th? Something, Something like that?
0: This morning, It's because yeah. it's 1230.
1: Okay. okay. Um, and I mean, we've done a lot more downloads in January than we did in all of December. Canada has unseated the United States as the most listened country. Really? They have about a 30% lead on the U.S. Really? Yeah. France <laughs> has about half the listenership that the United States has, though, which is pretty weird. Um, And then be- below that, we just have an eclectic mix of, like, Brazil, Hong Kong, Spain, like, one play. <laughs> um, thanks, guys. People have listened to our podcast on Podium for 8.95 days, nine days. This is None of this is including YouTube because we really need to update YouTube. Yeah, I don't know. That's basically it. That's insane that people have listened to us for like a week straight. No, for <laughs> nine days just on Podiant. So I know, but YouTube. that's
0: kind of weird. Yeah, that people have listened to us for that. Like, but
1: then you also go. That's really not a lot. No, it's an, but it YouTube's is. like we don't even monetize until you have ten thousand views. That's still a lot. It, like, yeah,
0: it's true. You know, people are out of touch with what a that's lot. That's more is than my parents listen to me.
1: Yeah, that's true. All right. Next, let's do A Field in England. Yeah, he's getting a little Wikipedia page.
0: I love doing this for the background.
1: Wikipedia.com says,
0: A Field in England is a 2013 British historical psychological horror film directed by Ben Wheatley. The film, shot in black and white, is set during the mid-17th century English Civil War. The film was released on... January fifth, 2013, on multiple flat platforms simultaneously, including cinemas, home media, and video on demand. It was also broadcast on Film 4 on the day of its release. And it kind of bombed. It did kind of bomb. Absolutely. But I think that part of that is due to the simultaneous distribution. Mm. Still, it took a budget of <laughs> £300,000. Which, which, we should say, because a lot of people don't know, is like almost laughably
1: small. Mind-bottlingly like tiny. That,
0: that's the catering for one day on The Hobbit. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, it's about uh, an eighth of what Embrace the Serpent was made for, and that movie was famous for having a tiny budget. Yeah. Um, so, this is one of the most difficult things to review. Um. Here is the fundamental question. <laughs> here was the fundamental question that I kept coming back to um as I just as I thought about it and as I tried to write my notes and stuff and you dear listener and you dear brother will have to make your own conclusion and your conclusion will That's determine whether or not the movie is good for you. And the question is this does a movie have to be a good film or is it enough for it to be an interesting mental exercise? A field in England is like a gorgeously shot metaphor. I told you not to pee in the studio. <laughs>
0: Sorry, I it exploded.
1: He gets really excited when we talk about Ben Wheatley. Um A Feel in England is this really beautifully shot metaphor. When it's taken at its face value, just as a movie. Like you sit down to watch a movie, like how my dad would watch a movie. A Feel in England is absolutely one of the worst movies I've seen in my life. <laughs> it's it's so bad as a movie. Like the acting is authentic is not authentic. It's, like, weird. Really? You didn't think so? No, absolutely not. The characters didn't sell themselves to me. Really? Like, sometimes they're characters, sometimes they're really serious, and I think it's all part of Mr. Wheatley's design for his film, but at the end of the day, that still doesn't mean it's, like, a good movie to watch. Um, the plot is confusing and lacks direction to the extent this is a true story, um, I thought I was missing something. I was so confused with what was going on. So I looked up a plot synopsis and read up to the point because this was partway through the movie. No, I wasn't missing anything. That was just all that... Like, that was really it. Um, Dialogue is occasionally quite funny. There are some zingers in there, for sure. (laughs) But much more often, it just seems odd and convincing and not in a kooky way, just kind of in a bad way. But... Was it really bad? That's the question I kept coming back to, and I still don't know. Um, Without straying into spoiler territory, um, I can say that most to all of the film's enthusiasts, and it does have a cult following, believe that the entire film is a metaphor. So basically nothing is as it seems. Um, That's never explicitly stated in the film, but there are a lot of clues and stuff that you can infer... And basically, it's a hotbed of fan theories and conjecture and um, really interesting discussions that spring out of this film. But is that good enough? Like, the metaphorical impact of the film definitely has merit, but at the end of the day, I don't think that's enough to stand on for me. I think that it's totally possible, and I think it's been done... To make a film that stands as a surface-level experience, but also a deep contemplative one, you know, like Apocalypse Now or Embrace of the Serpent or anything like that, um, you can watch it if you're like someone who likes the Avengers or whatever, and go, "Wow, that was a great movie." Or you can dissect it um, and find a lot of value beneath the surf the surface.
0: I would take exception to that in that um, I think it's a completely different experience, like in a contemplative sense. Mm-hmm. To watch something like *Embrace the Serpent*, where it does make it is a straight-ahead, well, for the most part, narrative. It's you know two narratives, but you can watch it and it's completely easy to understand everything. And they make that dual narrative work very well. To great yeah. effect, it a couple times throughout the film, but uh, it's still just two linear stories. This is a linear story. But the um, amount of work required to understand it is va- is way up here. And Embrace of the Serpent
1: is way down here. Here's the thing. Ben Wheatley does not tell you the story. He tells you something that is supposed to make you... He basically tells you like a code <laughs> that you're supposed to decipher to understand the story. Um, so I would say... If you're the sort of person who enjoys crazy fan theories and Reddit deep dives and thinking like, what if A, what if B, um, then this is a super cool movie. It, It just is. But for me, I don't know. I guess I just like my films to be films. And I feel like this really wasn't designed to be a film. So it didn't work for me. But in some ways, I just don't think I can really render an accurate judgment of it just because I don't think it was made for me. So I'm interested to hear what you think because I think you probably liked it. Well, that's
0: more. that's interesting because when when you and I were sitting watching it, Dad was there too. It was a slow Sunday afternoon, and I need to learn to stop watching new movies with other people because as soon as I sense a vibe in the room that people are turning against a movie, I cannot watch it objectively. I start like. Worrying that people are not liking it, you know, because I've chosen it. I purchased the the Blu-ray in this case and and everybody's sitting here hating it and I feel like an idiot, etc., etc. Um, and I thought for sure that you were going to slam it as being terrible. And then I did say something to you because we paused the movie and resumed it later. I did say something to you, I think maybe in between, about sometimes you just have to sink in and let a film wash over you. Not worry about not understanding it at the time. You just have to accept your lack of understanding as part of the experience. And let the film come to you in waves. And then after it's done, sit and evaluate post-viewing. Right? Mm-hmm. Which I think is just a fact of art in general. You can't always go into... <sighs> You know, a reading experience, a listening experience, a viewing experience, and expect to understand your thoughts on that piece of art during the time that you are experiencing it. I guess I just wanted to
1: understand the piece of art, not even my thoughts on it.
0: But what I'm saying is you can't always expect to understand a piece of art while you're experiencing it. Sometimes understanding comes later. Sometimes understanding comes with multiple views. It is okay to not understand something while you're experiencing it, as long as you are willing to experience
1: it. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Right? I feel, though, like I only really understand it because I did like Reddit deep dives and stuff. Well, I, and don't, I don't think I would have come to the same conclusions on my own.
0: And that's the point. And I meant to send you this uh, interview with Ben Wheatley on this movie uh, and then totally forgot. But he was talking about the language and the writing in the film and how much he hates expository dialogue. For those of you who don't know what that means, that means he used the analogy in Minority Report, which is a future setting uh, film. Tom Cruise is a... I believe he he's kind of a like SWAT team cop who goes out and prevents crimes before they happen. It's kind of like I think about murdering somebody and when my thoughts reach... A certain level of you know seriousness quote unquote once it's like once I've determined that I'm gonna kill somebody then all these you know uh, armor-clad people smash in through my roof and arrest me because I've thought about murdering somebody and they Ben Wheatley said in that movie Tom Cruise walks through this world being constantly like amazed at all the technology that's around him technology that should be in his in Ben's uh, words as ordinary to him as a light switch. Yeah. So in this movie there is absolutely no explanation of anything that these characters would have found ordinary. And I as a writer I find that completely bold and admirable and you looking off your fingers is disgusting.
1: That's why it's an audio podcast. You like that's so gross. <laughs> Okay, for real, stop that, and I'll continue to speak. What am I supposed
0: to do? I got all this. Chip Wipe dust them off of my on hands. your pants. No, I'll like vacuum this carpet. It's gonna. It's not gonna adhere to your pants. Is chi- like. Let me go wash off my hands. While potato talk. chip does not wood glue. Okay, keep, keep talking
1: about the movie. I got. I gotta wash off my hands.
0: I cannot believe how much of a princess you are. Okay, it's just you and me now, loyal listener. <sighs> I can't even He completely derailed me The 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 film I will say this um, The cinematography is like Staggeringly gorgeous Like That's a computer desktop That's a calendar You know Frame it Hang it on a wall The In certain In certain parts It seemed as though Cause you know The film's called A field in England Surprise surprise The film is set Welcome back The film is set in a field in England, and it felt like at certain points Ben Wheatley was kind of pulling the camera back and going, hey, look at these big wide shots, boom, and then you go, and it looks so good in black and white. It looks unbelievably good in black and white. And then there are these strange living tableau sequences where the characters kind of stand frozen in certain, like very... Well, that um, is a tableau by definition. Very renaissance... Uh, style poses and uh, they're kind of funny and I th- I found them quite interesting, kind of creepy too. Um, so I don't know. Reviewing this is a very huge contrast to what now the album by Sylvanesso because this is a very unsettling, strange, kind of obnoxious film, and Sylvanesso is kind of so. Uh, it's very
1: exuberant music. What you said right now has given me a thought that I didn't have until right now, and I think I just understood a fundamental a fundamental fundamental reason why this movie did not work for me. Okay. Everywhere like Wikipedia pages, Reddit, wherever you go, they talk about it being a psychological horror film, but I didn't really find it that unsettling, barring a couple sequences. And I think a big issue is that for something to be scary you as the viewer or the participant have to have the perfect mix of understanding and confusion that's what the shining does so well i think you you understand what's going on but at the same time but the time, last
0: time we watched the shining we weren't scared by it we weren't creeped i was scared
1: it. like 2 days later
0: <laughs> the, well here's the problem though i think part of the issue is we watched it in broad daylight with our what was
1: that just the tray Okay, well, playing with it please, with my seriously.
0: Don't do that. That's very irritating, and the listener is very perturbed right now. And they're signing off okay. to the podcast because of your chaos. Anyways,
1: program. I was just using the shining. Uh, I think an that analogy. I think
0: that we were watching it in broad daylight, which was a mistake. I think we were watching it with dad, who is like vocally hating it while we were watching it, which was a mistake. The shining, no, a field in England. Oh, okay, Jeez. that's what I am saying if we had oh, okay. sat down, nighttime, it's dark, crank up the sound, sit there and watch the film you and i nobody's saying anything nobody's giving off any kind of vibes i feel like it would have been a different experience i feel like it Maybe would have been so. creepier because there are a couple scenes that are scary in this movie yeah <laughs> and not scary in that kind of like uh kind of way that you jump and like you like know like disturbing just disturbing and and unsettling uh the, yeah, the, the use of black and white in the cinematography is completely beyond reproach. It's completely gorgeous, and uh, and I would kind of... If you're, if you're really enthusiastic about cinematography and the moving image, I would encourage you to watch this movie just based on the strength of that. Uh, and truly, truly, and tell me if you agree with this or not, I ceased to notice that the film was
1: in black and white at a certain point. And I don't I, know. I feel like... I continue to notice, but in a good way. Like every time there is one of those wide shots. Um... That,
0: well, that's what I was gonna say. When the characters are conversing together, when they're interacting, I totally different note didn't notice it. But when it pulls back and you've got these, like almost Ansel Adams mm-hmm. wide shots of the the field and the trees and the small characters down there, then I went, "Wow! Black and white films can be gorgeous."
1: One thing I absolutely love about the shooting style of whoever his cinematographer was um, is that for this movie, what you had for the majority of the shots um, was a light colored field, because it's all monochromatic, of course, light colored sky, and then dark forest in between, and then characters sort of in the middle. So you had this really nice, like, uh, gradient shot that was, like, all throughout the movie. And then a few times. There's the one scene where he looks up and sees that, like, uh, dark ball in the sky. It throws off the typical, like, gradient shot so that there's dark stuff at the top and bottom instead of just the middle. Yeah. And it makes this really striking uh, visual scene. And I think for stuff like that, the movie's genius, but still, I think it just doesn't add up to be enough for me.
0: Okay, Okay.
1: Okay. I I was worried going
0: into it that it was going to look or feel cheap. In the opening scenes, it seemed like the cinematography was maybe trying to conceal, like, a road nearby or something. There's some weird kind of camera angles that I couldn't quite justify from a, like, rational standpoint. It felt kind of strange to me. But I completely forgot about that later on, to be honest with you, and just kind of settled in and enjoyed the movie. Uh, Large elements... Mm. Let me, I'm not just going to charge you that. <coughs> now I'm moving on to the story. The story elements of that. we have gotten all the visual stuff out of the way. All the production stuff out of the way. Now I'm moving on to the actual film. Which is the story. Huge elements of this story are unexplained. And that's either a good thing or a bad thing. Depends on what you want from a movie. So the whole magic Thing, "Quote unquote, And I'm, not, I'm going to try very hard not to spoil anything Is hidden So they pull somebody out of seemingly thin air On the end of a rope at one point Apparently that is an ancient um, Magical kind of ritual in British history Where you would pull somebody out of a Quote unquote fairy circle A mushroom circle On the end of a rope And it's like a means of summoning. So there are many things like that, like intricate, old, historical, weird things that are not explained whatsoever. And uh, that really, truly is the experience of this film. The experience of the film is you watch it. You go, what just happened? What did I just see? And you hop onto Reddit, you hop onto Wikipedia, you hop onto YouTube... And you see what other people are discussing. And you formulate your own opinion on what you just saw. Because it, it's so confusing. It's so damn confusing. And then you maybe go back and watch it again. And you go, okay, yeah, I pick up on this here and here. Or maybe you disagree. And that's the experience of this film. It's not a just a story. It's a
1: puzzle. And I know you said something like that. But it truly is yep i feel like if we're if it were not just a story but a puzzle i would like it a lot more what i feel like is that it's not a story it's a puzzle
0: (laughs) no it's totally a story i think it's not a complicated story but it's still a story almost anything any series of events is a story really I i suppose So, you know, I I could go point by point right now through what I think the story is. It's not a good, like, three-act structure. Well, no, but it's a small film, it's a short film, and the gimmick of the film is that it's a puzzle. Yeah. Right? The gimmick is not, you know, oh, you know, unravel the puzzle and there's a prize at the end. No, the the, um, reward is just understanding. And that's kind of emblematic of the film as well, I think. I quite enjoyed it quite a lot. Do I want lots of films to take a cue from this? No. Do I want a couple more films to take a cue from this? Eh, no. Did I thoroughly enjoy a very unique experience that completely deviated from what most films feel an obligation to do, a.k.a explain everything to you give everything to you and uh go out of their way to make sure that you're comfortable and you understand everything that's happening and all that sort of thing um I did enjoy that I did I did like that sensation of watching a film where I had no idea what was going on but I knew that all the facts were before me and all I had to do was was uh, scrutinize them. So, again, not the best movie I've ever seen, but certainly very, very daring in form and function, and uh, I admire it. All right. What do you think of that?
1: Yeah, My basic takeaway would be that if you enjoy like complex fan theories it's for you if you just want to sit down and have like a story told to you and there's no shame in that because i would say i found more in, yeah i fall more into that camp i would just say avoid it well they're better I, use of an like, hour and a half i i would say i fall more into that camp too but the
0: fact of the matter is it's very refreshing to see something like this when you watch so many movies that just take the story and just plop it into your lap yeah and you just go yeah, okay. And you just float along with it, right? It's getting that kind of like ground-level resistance from a story was, for me, very refreshing and very strange. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's very similar, I think, to how Dark Souls, the video game series, operates, where it doesn't hand you a plot. You drop into this world, a lot of events have transpired, and you piece together... Very disparate, most of the time unrelated and confusing clues as to kind of what's going on through like item descriptions and snatches of character dialogue. Yeah. Beautiful. That's it. So that was that was episode 22, 22 of the Good Ship Brothership. Thank you so much for uh, joining in and listening and arguing along with us. On the next episode, Ooh. I think we will be reviewing... Yeah, for sure. One of the biggest games of last year at this point. Horizon Zero Dawn, which we are finishing up. It's almost a year old. And we will be reviewing, which I'm extremely excited to talk about, <laughs> Mad Max Fury Road,
1: Black and Chrome. We'll talk about that. I mean, we'll talk about it in general terms well. Yeah, well. we'll
0: talk about it in general terms because Mad Max Fury Road... If you haven't seen it, go see it. What is stopping you? We'll say it's good right now. It is just <laughs> a fantastic movie. We're
1: not going to review it. We're going to tell you why it's good. Oh, my
0: word. But the amazing thing is one of the one of the most standout features of that film is the color usage and how vibrant and beautiful... Um, oh, what's that? What's the director's name? Blast Me. Um, uh, we can't do the yeah. man a disservice because Shoot. he's...
1: And we were just outroing too. We could I know. Well, we that's okay this is okay.
0: Uh, George Miller, George Miller imagines a desert in such a vivid and beautiful way that it it doesn't feel like a desert. And a lot a lot of that, I thought, was to do with the the vivid colors that he utilizes. Well, then of course he released the black and chrome edition, which is a black and white edition of that film, notably devoid of color. <laughs> And he says it's his yeah. preferred, preferred uh, version of the uh, of the film. So I'm extremely excited to watch that, see what I think in terms of, you know, which version I prefer personally, and just how he's made that work with no color. And so that's what we'll be talking
1: about. I have an outro fun fact, just to throw it into context, because we mentioned it earlier. Sure. Field in England made for $300,000. The Mad Max Fury Road budget was $150 million.
0: Yeah. And it does show. Just for content. Mad Max Theory Road looks phenomenal. Okay. Okay. So that's about it. I think. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, uh, don't be shy to subscribe and all that. You know what to do. I don't have to tell you that. It's find us although, on. Fa- do you find here, us on Facebook? though. Here's
1: something I've started to notice more recently. Um, I'm watching. we going to eat some chips. Yeah. Okay. Um, and this is like the after party, and it's going to be very brief. Cause we hey, everybody. So, for, like, the first time in my life, I've started watching streamers. Just a little bit. Not, like, oh, not like no. a nerd amount, you know, just a little bit. Sure, sure. Um, but they're like, you gotta like the stream, gotta like the stream. Um, and I go, you know what? Good reminder. And I take my phone out of full screen, and I go, and I like the stream. And that got me thinking, maybe we should say, you know, like, subscribe, and share. Because when other people say it, I do it. So. Also... If you are listening
0: at this point in the show, go to our oh, Facebook yeah. page, or if this is on YouTube,
1: <laughs> you go into the it comment off. section. I know you got a whole weekend now. Yeah.
0: Comment. Um, what should we say? Raspberry bugle. Yeah, no, that's, good. that's too hard to no. spell. Is okay, it, hang on. Does I got anybody go. know how? To, I don't know how to spell bugle. I got
1: a good one. Just do uh, mounted crow head.
0: That's weird. That sounds kind of sexual
1: comment mounted crow head um
0: that's all that's the end sure comment comment something like that i don't care (laughs) (laughs)
1: goodbye bye everybody we love you